Well, we're coming to uh, the last series today, a mini-series, the third in the mini-series called Wrapping It Up. And of course, Elaine and I are wrapping up our ministry among you. This will be the last time I'll preach to this great congregation and this great body of Christ. Um, this is what we've been looking forward to. And since it's my last opportunity to preach, it'll only be about three hours. It's my last chance to straighten you out before the next pastor gets here. Why don't you laugh at that? Oh, no, we want to thank you so very, very much. One, thank you for being willing to accept um, a process that has moved toward this day. IPM has five tasks that we've talked about over and over and over again. And the more I'm in this ministry, the more I value those tasks and the process to accomplish those tasks. Because I believe it firmly helps prepare the church for the next pastor and the next pastor for the church. And so we're looking forward to hearing some great things about Pastor Dave's leadership with the team that's here. I wanted to also say thank you to the pastoral staff, especially Tim and Dennis and John McGumbers. He started working with us and the secretaries that are part of our life every day. And uh, Tim was right. We had a lot of fun serving our Lord together and learning the value of having a team that leads with um, the strengths of each helping blend or helping strengthen the weaknesses of each present company excluded. I have no weaknesses, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Which leads me to my next expression of gratitude. Thank you for accepting me and accepting Elaine the way we are. Thank you for putting up with us for the last 19 months and three days now. And uh, man, thank you for not trying to change us. Some people have been worried about our marriage relationship, but it's worked well for 45 years. Thank you for not messing it up. Did you see Lane even applauded at that? That's pretty good. Well, I want to bring to you a last study from a very small book called Philemon. I hate to admit this, but I don't remember ever preaching a sermon. I think this is the first time, though I've read it over and over and over again. I don't think in 45 years I've ever preached a sermon from this great book. I need to set it up for you. It's a book that has three main characters. Of course, the Apostle Paul, who writes the letter. The other character is Onesimus, who was a slave. A slave of the third character, Philemon. Philemon was a believer. Onesimus was not at the time that he was connected with his master. Philemon, as a slave, Onesimus was never a believer while he was in relationship with Philemon. But Onesimus messed up big time as an unbeliever. As one who was far from God, didn't know the Lord, 
was a natural person, if you remember our study from last Lord's Day. And uh, messing up as a slave, he didn't do a good job at his work. He was a very poor slave. And he even stole from his master. He was a thief. And then more than that, he was a runaway slave. And it is true in that culture that the master could have put him to death for having stolen from him, let alone having been a runaway slave. And in divine providence, imagine this. Please, can I remind you, God is always in control. You believe that firmly? In his divine providence, the lives of Onesimus, the thief and runaway slave, intersected with the Apostle Paul. A life whom God had intersected with on a road to Damascus. You remember that blessed story, right? When the light dawned upon him, and it's not a physical light that's in view there. It's the light that dawned upon his soul, and that is that he had helped put to death those who uh, were declaring the gospel truth and that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. No man could come to the Father but by him. That dawned on his darkened mind that day. And from that point on, the Apostle Paul told everybody who would listen about that marvelous story. I want to pause right there and just say, one of the greatest delights of the last 19 months for us has been celebrating with you nearly 600 people who have come to Christ through missions and all kinds of outreach opportunities in this church. That's a thing to celebrate. No? The Apostle Paul, having intersected with Onesimus by divine design, shared with him that story of Jesus and his love, just like the bikers did this week. And Onesimus came to Christ. Now let me fill you in on something. When he came to Christ, the Apostle Paul became aware of his history. Paul is a shepherd of the flock, as one who loved not just the church in general, but every believer within it. Paul got to know him and his history and his story, and he knew there were some unresolved things in his past. And please learn a couple of things here, just observations that you learn when reading Philemon. First is this, Paul did not leave the past unresolved in spite of the fact that he was an unbeliever in the past. He, an unbeliever, had offended a believer. And now, as a believer, Paul didn't say, well, no big deal. You were lost. You don't have to go back and deal with that. And can I just throw this out? I was taught early in ministry that uh, you do everything you can to keep new converts from going back to old relationships. And it's like they've got to be separate. 
or they'll fall back into what they were. And it's like, oh no, that doesn't happen. Do you understand the power of the gospel? Paul understood it when he wrote about what some were. He said, such were some of you, drunkards, adulterers, idolaters. And he didn't say to them, you be careful lest you go back to it. He said to them, go back to the relationships for one reason. To mend those relationships and hope to tell them the story of Jesus and his love. I think I was taught wrong when I was young and I taught many wrong. You have past relationships as one who's been transformed by the power of God. Rebuild those relationships so you can tell them about Christ. Amen. Oh, you were taught something different too. You've got to think about that one, don't you? Now watch this. Paul didn't just say to this man, forgive and forget. He said to them, you've got to go back. Onesimus, slave, you've got to go back and rebuild that relationship. But Paul didn't send him back uninvolved. He didn't say, oh, that's your problem. You go deal with it. Instead, Paul got involved in the problem. He sent a postcard. It's only 25 verses long, this whole book. It's not an epistle or a letter. He sent a postcard. And in 25 verses, he addressed the other person in this broken relationship. Philemon, his brother in Christ. And now he, in essence, is saying to this brother in Christ, Philemon, you have one who is more than a slave that I'm returning and sending back to you and wanting you to rebuild relationship with him, not as a slave, but as a, say it, it's on the screen, a, a what? A brother. Uh, brothers knock heads once in a while, yo. I never had a brother. I had sisters. That's why I've had such a painful life. <laughs> My youngest sister could outrun me. She would outrun me and tackle me. My next sister was larger than me, and she would sit on me. My oldest sister would do what no sister should ever do. It's, it's major abuse. She kissed me. <laughs> Say, all, oh, Larry. I didn't hear all, Larry, with real sympathy there. <laughs> Family members struggle. Can I say that again? Family members struggle with each other relationships within every family have to be rebuilt. That's what IBM's all about. That's why I brought this subject up. The last sermon I want to share with you is so important to my heart. And I think it is because it's important to Moses in the Old Testament, Paul in every book he wrote in the New Testament from the Lord Jesus himself that they all family, God's people, church, that they all may be one. As you and I, Father, are saying, one. We're going to have relationship issues. And the 
It's not over. They will remain. But the question is, what will you do with them when you now see them? And I will have felt like a failure if you, my beloved, do not know what to do when there are interpersonal issues within the family and how to resolve them. And that's what Philemon is all about. This loving shepherd, Paul. By the way, if you want to get my dander up, just say one more time, he was just an interrupt. No, no, no. He's called God. With one main goal, to honor God by making the family a stronger unit each year, each month, each week. Year in, year out, month in, month out, week in, week out, a stronger unit. And that's what Paul writes about in this great book. And I want you to see his words. We won't use all 25 verses. They're just four that capture Paul's heartbeat. And they read like this. I thank my God making mention of you, Philemon, always in my prayers. Hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. That the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ or because of Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love, Philemon. Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. I want you to see how in those short four verses, Paul understands what it takes to rebuild relationships that have been broken. He understands first that it requires conflict, interpersonal conflict to be resolved, requires prayer. It requires what, church? Prayer. Now, everybody be on the third row. It requires what? Prayer. prayer. One more time. Prayer. I thank my God, Paul said when writing the Bible. Making mention of you in my prayers. Do you remember a time when the Lord sent his disciples out? And he gave them the power to deliver people even from demons? And there was one that came back to the Lord Jesus. They brought that one demon-possessed person back to the Lord Jesus. And he delivered them or him or her, I don't remember which it was, but he delivered the individual from demonic possession. And the apostles were perplexed. Why? Because they had tried and failed. And they had a conversation with the Lord Jesus and said, we don't get it. How is it that you were successful, but you had given us the power, and we were unsuccessful? What's the difference in Jesus answered their perplexity like this. This 
kind, guys, and you didn't get it. This kind comes not out, but by prayer and fasting. You did all the right things except one thing. Guys, you didn't pray. I value most about this church is the six to eight men and just as many if not more women who every Sunday morning at 9.15 are meeting in a room down the hall and are appealing to God pleading with God for power and strength as we worship him in unity and ears to ear as we worship worship team that prepares hard. But every Sunday morning they pray together before they minister to you. Wednesday night a significant number of people who over the years have never given up praying together. They have a whole list. A list that involves you and your needs when you're uh, suffering some issue in life or our missionaries, they're pouring their hearts out to God. They are praying. I remember years and years ago when my grandmother was in the hospital and my mother called and said, she's given up. The doctor said she stopped thriving and there's only one reason. It's not because her ticker is bad. It's just because she's given up. Mom said, Larry, I think it would be good if you gave her a call. And I called her. And I said, Grandma, what's going on? She said, my life's over. It has no value anymore. And I said to my grandma, <coughs> Grandma, her last name was Little. I always called her Grandma Little. She was a little lady. I said, Grandma, I remember the times when you spent nights with us and I'd hear something out of your bedroom at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and I'd get up thinking something happened to you and when I cracked the door open and looked in, I saw you on your knees and I heard you mentioning my name, my wife's name, my kids' names and all your children and all your grandchildren praying to God at two or three in the morning. Grandma, if you don't rise out of that bed, who's going to pray for me like that? Nobody loved me more and prayed for me more than her. And I so miss what I know to be powerful prayers that she has gone home. She got out of the hospital and lived for years more. And I think I would not today be in ministry were my grandma not a prayer warrior. God's people, when there is interpersonal conflict, the first thing we typically do is ask for all the details. Well, how could that happen? Why did that happen? Who was 
responsible for that? Who let that go? When the Apostle Paul, I think I can prove it in other places, when he saw conflict and heard about it, the first thing he did was drop on his knees and pray. Why? I think it's more important in this Western culture that you and I get that. Because my beloved, I, I've never in 45 years in America run into anyone that I thought was demon-possessed. A couple of people close to it. You'll be glad to know none in this assembly. But church, I've run into in every single church setting in America I've ever been involved in without exception this one included. I run into interpersonal conflict. And I found that to be the single most difficult thing to resolve and drive away from the assembly. And that's why in this last sermon, this last study with you, I want to say to you, when, not if, you hear it and see it, drop on your knees and pray. That's what Paul did. It was a problem. First thing he did was pray. He prayed specifically by name for the individual that he knew he had to have a conversation with. He prayed for Philemon and thanked God for his love. Now watch this. He also understood that resolving interpersonal conflict involved good assumptions. And I want you to see his assumption. Hearing, not seeing, not being present to know it's true, though Paul had a good relationship with Philemon, he still has been at a distance from him for some time. Hearing of your love and faith. And I'll pause right there before we read the rest of that together. Hearing of your love and faith is really critical here. It's like he heard a good thing and he believed it. And I want to tell you my observation in the Church of Christ, which is why across America there is so much interpersonal conflict. It is because, beloved, we are prone not to believe the best about others, but we are prone to believe the bad. Now, am I alone in that observation or what? Is that true? We really are. We're prone to believe the worst. And like I said a while ago, we want to know all the details. Onesimus, soul, what did he take? The gold lancing. How did he get it? Put it in his robe? Or did he have his wife? How did he keep it? No one knew about it. Where did he go when he left? What's he doing now? And all the details, we want to know, how bad is it? Well, I can answer that question for every interpersonal conflict that comes up. It's really bad. Now, we got that out of the way. Let's assume there is some good going on. 
from God's perspective in every interpersonal conflict. You think God's in charge of everything? Except what? No, no. God's still on the throne no matter what's happening. Last time I checked, there's nowhere in the Bible that says he ever had to have, y'all, he ever had to have a, an emergency committee meeting with the Trinity because he didn't see that one coming. That's not God, right? He's big. And overall, he wants you to see the good that he's trying to accomplish. And know what good he sees. I've heard of your love and your faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus, which everybody would assume. But you also have it toward, and what's that little next three-letter word, class? You have that same love that you had toward Christ. You have it toward all the saints. Do you know what Paul is doing here with Philemon? He's setting him up big time. I'm about to test that love for all the saints. And I'm assuming that you're going to have the same love for this next one that I need to talk to you about, the one you have conflict with. I'm going to assume the best from you. You love him as much as you love every other brother or sister in the body of Christ, even though he was a slave and abused you rather than you abusing him. And here's a little tidbit that's really interesting in the uh, title of this story, of uh, this whole letter, this postcard, it's Philemon. It's the way you pronounce it in the Greek. Philemon. From which we get the word, or it's a derivative of the word phileo. You heard that word before? Which means what? Brotherly love. The city of Philadelphia, the city of phileo. Brotherly love. You are phileo. Philemon, a man of love. His name is indicative of his character, the character that God had built in him. You love all the saints. Now he's going to stretch you further. This is the good. And I'm assuming you will grow and be stretched and accept this new privilege of expressing love to one who has abused you as Christ expressed love toward all of us who have abused him more than we've ever been abused. That's a big mouthful of words. Did you get them? Oh, church, assume that God is in the business wanting to change and stretch the love that two people in the church have that are in conflict whenever you see it. God is wanting to build love for each other. And you have the privilege of being like Paul and getting involved in helping them express that love assuming that God will give them the power to do it. And i got to tell you, 
I don't always easily assume the best of people. You ever been hurt by anybody? Never? Oh, okay. I'm not alone. People hurt us. We don't always assume the best of them when they do. And I get that. Nor should we on one side of the coin because the heart of man is deceitfully wicked, desperately evil, deceitfully wicked. The Bible says that about your heart and mine. Let's all agree on that one. Yeah. But I think we ought to assume that God has power over even the hearts of men. Never, 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 never. Never give up on God transforming the heart. Assume that he will. The day I believe man's heart is so vile that not even God can change it is the day I not only quit IPM, I quit ministry altogether. You got someone under your roof at home, you know someone who walked with God in this church in its history and now is not walking with the Lord? Don't give up on them. Don't give up on them. I'm trying to get a response. Don't give up on them. Never, never, never. What a glorious day when God brings them back and you get to have a party and celebrate with them. That which is lost has been found. Pretty tremendous power of God to transform interpersonal conflict. And lastly, I'll just mention it so I know it feels like I'm going three hours. I promise I will. <coughs> Paul models this for us. He knows that resolving interpersonal conflict and problems involves or requires a broader vision. And by that I mean it's a whole lot bigger than two people. We have great joy, Paul said in verse 7, and consolation in your love for all the saints because the hearts of the saints, not the hearts of Philemon and Onesimus, have been refreshed. But he takes it much broader than that. The hearts of the saints. What saints is he talking about? He's talking about those who are in the church that Philemon is in. Go back and read the first few verses and you will find that this letter is not just written to Philemon. It's written to a couple of other individuals and the church, a house church that had started meeting together. And so what's he saying? The whole church is impacted. Are you hearing this? The whole church is impacted by the interpersonal conflict. It does not happen in an isolated room in the body and the rest of the body unimpacted by it. 
The Lord knows when there is this interpersonal stuff going on, the whole church is impacted. And you can let it go a week. You can let it go a month. You can let it go a year. Some churches, five years or ten years or more. But there will come a day when the whole church has to deal with it. Because God requires unity among the brethren. And to fail to pray and to fail to assume that God's at work in the conflict and you want to be a part of that resolution is to fail to believe that God is serious about unity, harmony, oneness in his body. And I have to add a caveat here. That caveat says live peaceably with all men. And there's a little phrase that Paul wrote when he said that. As much as lieth within who? You. You can't always be at peace and in harmony with everybody because not everybody will be open to the mind of the Lord. Right? But you can always pray and you can always be ready to be reconciled to a brother or to help when God looks in their hearts and makes them ready. I wish there was a magic solution that would just resolve it instantly. Don't you? If everybody would just listen to me, it would happen. <laughs> Never feel that way? Listen. The Lord is serious about harmony. And Paul shows you how to make Use what he talks about to protect the unity of the body that Christ died for. Pray. Assume the best and be serious about it because it affects the whole. It's broader than just one or two. Your turn for the final time. You're going to miss this question. Oh, wow, you got into it then. It's like, finally, we get to hear it for the last time. Let's move on. Remember, you've been taught. Please, please, please. Remember, you've been taught to do something better than to forgive and forget. Paul didn't allow an SMS just to forget the past nor finally even. And I beg you. Let's do something more. Let's take steps toward reconciling conflicted brethren. That's what real love does. That's what a shepherd's heart does. And that's what a flock that cares about each other does. It moves toward each other. When everyone knows or a few know. There's come. When it comes, don't just forgive and forget and say, oh, well, it's just them. Do you remember my story last week about Eden? For 30 years, no one said anything to her. And the one time someone said something to her, she 
she was grateful and changed. Maybe people remain like they are because we're not willing to be serious about unity. And the longer you let it go, the more difficult it becomes to create in the body of Christ. And lastly, be willing and be ready to be a Paul, to write a postcard, to send an email, to send a text, truthfully. In our setting, it's far better to do it face-to-face. There are some things that don't belong on Facebook. Could I say that one more time? Well, you get the point. And this is one that doesn't belong on Facebook. Be ready to have the hard conversations with each other. There are times in ministry when I knew I had to have a hard conversation with someone. And it intimidated me. It was hard to have. And I'd walk over to my door getting ready to go have that conversation and I couldn't turn the handle. And I'd go back and sit down and say, God, I can't. And a week or a month would go by, and I'd know, God, bring it up again. I've got to have that conversation and speak the hard truth into the life and, and go to the door and have to go back to God. I'm not ready. I can't. And every time I said I can't, he reminded me, one, of his power. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But he reminded me more often of my call to shepherd the flock of God and keep it together. And sometimes it takes hard conversations to do that. Now I want to end up with a soap that's not on the screen. Tomorrow morning, I already gave the keys our facilities director and he'll pass them on to another pastor tomorrow. The office is empty. As soon as I get my wallet out of there, don't anybody go steal it. (laughs) It's ready for him to come. Don't leave it this week, next week, this month, next month, following month, the following year. Is it okay as an intern just to be direct with him? Don't, don't, don't. Leave it to him to have the hard conversations with your friends that you know are struggling in their relationship with others. Don't do that to him. Because my beloved, it isn't just the Pauls or the called pastors or the clergy that are to protect the unity. It's the flock itself. You are responsible to build into the lives of one another and speak the truth in love to each other. Do you know how much that eases the work of a pastor when the flock does its job? Makes it so much easier. So look at the person next to you 
and say, I fully intend to speak the hard things into your life. Go right ahead. Our church, look to the same person and say, please, 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 speak the hard things into my ear and life. And really, I'm serious. Tell them, speak it into my life. You're free. My father. Christ prayed five times in John, that great prayer of his. One, we didn't have the chance to study together, and I so long to have done that. That they may be one as we are one. Father, make this church one, like the Father and the Son. Like Jonathan and David, like Ruth and Naomi, make us one. Thank you for the harmony that's here as a new shepherd comes. And my Father, I plead that you will bring this study to the minds and hearts of every member here and make it a passion of their new shepherd and the shepherd team that oversees this lot. My Father, Protect 